Recording live from the Hoban Law Group here in Denver, Colorado, I'm your host, Eric Singular. We're sitting alongside president and founder of the Hoban Law Group, Bob Hoban. Today, Bob Hoban and myself are talking about psychedelics and the state of cannabis in France, and we are joined by the founder and CEO of MCAN, Sarah Velomirovich. Sarah, thank you for being here with us today. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. Sarah, welcome to the show. It's good to have you on uh, this evening. And, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about uh, different different topics uh, over the course of our 100-plus episodes, so we're really lucky to have you because we really haven't uh, dived too deeply into the topic of psychedelics. So, first of all, before we even get into that, talk a little bit about what brought your particular interest to the world of psychedelics. Sure. Uh, to the world of psychedelic, I would say that um, I came in uh, straight from the drug policy reform um, camp. <laughs> so uh, it was back in, in 2015 when I did an exchange here in the United States that um, I discovered this whole world and, and, and kind of organizations and so many people working on, on changing drug policy from you know a, a criminal justice point of view to, to public health point of view. Um, and that's when I discovered um, students accessible drug policy and I started interning for them and then later kind of um, went into representing the, the youth voice at the United States, United Nations. Sorry about that. And, um, and then um, also on the board, but, um, but what's, what really brought me into the psychedelics, I think is um, uh, just uh, kind of, you know, apart from the kind of professional argument that you can say, which is um, psychedelics really have a um, a, a tr- tremendously robust um, scientific evidence behind them, what really convinced me is uh, uh, trying them and just just seeing the magic for, for, for firsthand. <laughs> to be honest. So, so Sarah, where did you study in the U.S. Uh, during that program? Yeah, sure. So I studied at uh, Rutgers uh, for a year, but um, but I studied uh, most most of my the the majority of studies were in in France at uh, Sciences Po. Excellent. That's well, where I studied. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm am uh, a Rutgers grad myself. So it's uh, what did you think of your time in New Brunswick? New yeah, Jersey? yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, it was in New Brunswick. I loved it. It was so amazing. It was a great, like, uh, it was just a typical American university experience. Uh, it was so awesome. And, uh, and I remember my first day I arrived, um, and I had like a big suitcase and I remember I was worried. I, I came from the Amtrak, I guess, and came to the station. I was worried that if I was going to find the school, you know, if I was going to find Rutgers in New Brunswick, but, but then you arrive and you realize, well, New Brunswick is Rutgers. It's all the same thing. It's like a completely student town. And of course, coming from Europe, uh, I was raised in Serbia and, and then studying in France. Uh, it, it, you just don't have that. It, we, we don't have the same type of, you know, university complexes that, that way. Uh, but awesome. So what, what did you, you, you studied law at, uh, at Rutgers? No, I, I did my undergraduate at Rutgers. So I, I, I had a double major. 
I majored in administration <laughs> of justice, which is kind of like a pre-law program in political science, uh, and then ultimately did move on to law school uh, in the Western United States. But, you know, it's funny, though, when you say, I wonder if I could find Rutgers, because a lot of people don't know this, but Rutgers is one of the largest universities in the entire United States. It's got an undergraduate population mm -hmm. that it's well over 55,000. I mean, it's wow. it's a huge, huge school, mm -hmm. and there's there's... There's New Brunswick, which is a fairly large city by, by, by many standards, uh, and then the neighboring towns of Piscataway uh, and uh, a couple of other nearby towns make up multiple campuses for Rutgers. And, and this is, these are things that a lot of people don't even know about Rutgers University. But, uh, no, it's very, uh, very, very proud to share that with you. But, uh, you know, as, as, you, as you, you dove into to studying the, the drug reform uh, elements of society. And, and this is something that really is at the core. I always like to say what happens when a movement becomes an industry. And that's kind of what we're witnessing in real time with the cannabis industry, <laughs> because it wasn't an industry. And, and frankly, most places that seek to enact some sort of cannabis or marijuana reform don't really seek to create an industry so much as they seek to affect some sort of policy change, which usually uh, affects criminal justice, right? So then when you sort of start to go down <laughs> that road and you look at psychedelics and, and, and the usefulness of psychedelics, um, talk a little bit about what you've seen in real time and, and what kind of movement you've seen to recognize the viable uh, therapeutic benefits of psychedelics. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so, so it's it just the the interest in the in the past year has been incredible. Um, I suspect that it has something to do with the kind of how cannabis kind of really went global in a in a really robust, powerful way since 2016, and also definitely since 2018 and Canadian legalization that that really kind of brought cannabis as a serious policy option, at least for for medical cannabis, and then. Uh, of course, we're not still talking about uh, recreational here in Europe, but but really brought brought it as a serious option um, here in Europe, and um, and and I suspect that um, you know the the kind of the the newly opened um, you know policy circles, uh, uh, um, kind of the the way that they're they're open to 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 cannabis, uh, uh, they you know it's 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 um it's it's an interesting. Um, it, it's an interesting thing that that's happening with with psychedelics now too. Uh, of course, the in in psychedelics, it's it's a very big emphasis, uh, just because of how very different they are from cannabis as substances. So, uh, usually we kind of you know think of cannabis as as something that that can both be a medicine, but also a nutraceutical product, or can be uh, used kind of more or less frequently, whereas um, psychedelics are are really not uh, uh, like that. They're, they're kind of a uh, a therapy or a treatment uh, type of um, type of substance where where they're really best the 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 best results really come out of a uh, carefully guided uh, and carefully kind of administered setting or. Uh, or a careful clinical protocol, right? Um, so, so in that sense, psychedelics—the the way that we're discussing them now, in at least in in in, in business spaces—is um, is kind of very under um, 
uh, under the framework of our pharmaceutical um, applications and, and uh, uh, kind of the the very medical clinical uh, uh, way to to introduce them to a larger uh, population. Uh, then again, of course, uh, um, there's a there's a big uh, movement in the United States in in um, in for a decriminalizing nature. So so in a sense, also addressing the the criminal justice uh, part uh, as well as kind of following this principle of like, okay, well, let's just let's just you know t- uh, laissez faire, right? Like let's just uh, t- take um, take our hands off um, off the people who are using these substances for their personal use and are not, you know, endangering anyone publicly. Um, and then, of course, one of I would say the most interesting initiatives is the IP34, I guess, in in, in Oregon that uh, we're also excited to <laughs> to see what happens with um, that that would effectively within two years time and if it passes, uh, would effectively um, institute a, a therapy program for um, psilocybin uh, mushrooms. Yes, and we're very so interested kind of, in, in kind of watching how that develops here because uh, I believe that is on the ballot in Oregon coming up in the next month. Uh, but as we look specifically at Europe, and, and uh, I want to – I want to post something to you, Bob, because as Sarah was speaking, it, it reminded me of something that we've talked about before, which is that the uh, the emphasis in for cannabis in Europe has always been more medical uh, than recreational, as we've kind of seen here in the United States. And so, um, obviously, Sarah, you do a lot of work with MCAN, which we, we understand is policy work and advising uh, in Europe. But, Bob, I just want to put to you really quickly – do you see that because there is more of that medical focus in cannabis, that that may somehow also apply to psychedelics like psilocybin uh, in the European Union in a different way than we're seeing it here in, in Oregon or the United States? Oregon is an example with that ballot initiative in November. Well, it, it's interesting. It's a, it's a really good point, good question. In the United States, I'm surprised, frankly, the advancement and the recognition that psychedelics have so quickly gotten, not to question even for a minute any of the therapeutic benefits. That's that's not my job. My point, though, is I'm surprised how fast certain circles, uh, medicinal circles, uh, physicians, researchers, how quickly they've embraced psychedelics in the United States. And, and it seems like there are more distinct and available pathways for research and development here in the U.S. But there's also kind of two tracks going on in the U.S. There's the decriminalization movement, which we've talked about in a lot of places, Colorado being one of those, Oregon, so forth and so on, various cities across California. And then there's the pursuit of basically formulas and and clinical-like trials surrounding psychedelics. We haven't seen that vigor around cannabis as a whole from the scientific community in the U.S., uh, it's increasing week by week, day by day, but we haven't seen that vigor. Now, if you look across the pond, uh, it does seem that there is more of a focus on looking at a subject and seeing, is there something therapeutic? Is there a medicinal benefit here? And if there is, here's the pathway for you to go and establish that. That just just appears as an outsider as to, to how things have evolved. What do you think of that characterization, Sarah, about, about that perception? Is that, is that really 
what's happening? Is there more of a chance that the European Union or various countries within the EU um, take major steps forward with psychedelics? Or are there more traps than meets the eye? Yeah, so um, so I would say that the, I, I definitely agree with your characterization, and it's such an honor to speak to you, Bob. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so uh, I really agree with um, with kind of yeah, like the how how surprising it is that how fast that some of the these communities have embraced psychedelics, and I would say that um, in the United States, at least a part of it, I think, has to do with because you know you, in the United States, you already have companies like you say that are you know, a pharma company that, that, um, that are, you know, either formulating products or have some products in the pipeline, in the FDA approval process and so on. This is obviously all kind of in the context of, you know, MDMA for, uh, you know, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy for PTSD being, uh, most probably in, in, in kind of generally approved by the FDA by 20. 22, and then um, psilocybin also being granted a breakthrough therapy status. Um, so that's the context. But but I would say that a lot of it has to do the the way that we see it from here in Europe is also with Canada, and and how Canada is 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 kind of doing its own activism in the policy realm because it was Canada in 2018 that when they legalized that you know, medical cannabis became a serious and very powerful discussion in, in Europe. Uh, and that's simply because of, you know, the the capital markets opening in Canada for uh, for for the space, right? And then now in the in the last year we've seen um, the Ministry of Health kind of granting or or, you know, making statements that kind of seem favorable to granting uh, Canada health licenses to uh, operate psychedelics, which which means that it's in 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 that very important um, sense, it's 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 opening the way for uh, for psychedelics globally, or at least in North America, um, you know, Israel and Germany and and in in a couple of countries in 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 Europe. But I would definitely not say that Europe is not ready for psychedelics at this time <laughs> we're, we're having trouble <laughs> we're having trouble with medical cannabis even so I mean you know it's it's it's, it's been a good two years for for medical cannabis in, in Europe definitely but um but we're, we're definitely not there yet in, in terms of psychedelics it's it's like I said at the beginning it's definitely helped open the way and you know people are more ready to listen uh and uh, maybe it's also the effect of Corona and the way that people are, you know, changing um, their opinions and changing their minds on, on things that they usually don't change as, as fast or as much. But, um, yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about medical cannabis and specifically in France, because we know that recently there has been a development. So will you share that with us and, and kind of uh, tell us what the significance of that development is? Yeah, for sure. So um, one week ago, uh, the French government published a decree uh, for medical cannabis experimentation, uh, making it uh, effectively a reality. So, so we're we're on. It's happening. Uh, it, this has been a, an experimentation that's been two years in the making. Uh, you know, various different committees and the Ministry of Health have have looked into the uh, question and. Uh, 
most likely in March 2021. Uh, they're going to start a very limited in number um, experiment of giving medical cannabis to 3,000 patients uh, for five uh, conditions. Uh, they include um, uh, so um, the uh, MS, uh, refractory pain, uh, palliative care, uh, cancer and uh, epilepsy. So, and the, what what they did, the, the committee that created this, is they were really, um, you know, adamant in uh, creating a very limited um, experiment that that is going to be set up for success. They wanted to make sure they only picked the conditions or the diseases that uh, they knew that there's robust evidence for abroad. Um, and the point of this is really uh, to to um, create a success story that will then lead them to have a uh, national uh, medical cannabis regulation uh, expected in 2022-23. So that's the the big news. So so France is uh, on board. (laughs) So do you anticipate that that ultimately does create some sort of commercial model or you start slowly by looking at the therapeutic benefits and making it available to patients within particular categories? So, so um, yes, the, the, this is an important aspect. So, so what is definitely going to happen is that 3,000 patients are going to uh, get medical cannabis um, in the next two years during the period of a year or year and a half. And um, and the commercially, like in many, like we've seen in many countries in Europe, for the first two to five years, when a market opens up, for example, Germany, there's simply there, there there's no other way than to get the can, the medical cannabis from abroad because that's the only can, cannabis that you know ex- exists that is you know EU GMP approved and kind of meets the pharmaceutical standards that that you need to have. Uh, any other medication uh, meet in order to for it to be received prescribed by doctors and received by patients. Um, so, so in that sense, the 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 way that the French government is is uh, likely structuring it right now is that they're going to seek out from abroad uh, medical cannabis for free uh, to be given to to these patients, and then they're going to engage in some uh, probably some form of um, uh, you know, government-guided uh, tenders uh, during the first couple of years, while simultaneously working on setting up and and making operational the French production. Uh, the the French are uh, known for their um, you know protectionism and the way that they are um, kind of really proud of their their um, national treasures. <laughs> um, and so so we'll see how that plays out. Uh, what's also interesting about France in, in terms of cannabis is that it's it's really a country that, in terms of um, in terms of hemp, in terms of indus- industrial hemp, is is really uh, has a very very rich, uh, very interesting history. Um, so it's it's actually a number one producer in Europe of hemp, and a fourth or fifth producer in the world. 
of yes. industrial hemp. Yes. And, we, we, yeah. we were actually just talking about that the other day in terms of uh, just the, the, the number. Do you know what the sixth, this is a trivia question for you. What's the sixth largest producer of hemp in the world? If you get this, you'll, you'll never get it. It's U USA. No, no. Well, the USA is number, uh, number three. France is number four. Uh, Chile is number five. Number six is North Korea. Wow. Can you believe that? Wow. I had no idea. Well, let me ask you this, Sarah. What took so long? France is perceived by so many to be such a progressive country in so many different ways. And like you said about hemp, it's got a history with this plant. So what took so long for France to sort of get on board with this notion that cannabis does, in fact, uh, deserve treatment the way we're describing uh, this program? Yeah, so I think that it, it was really interesting to be there when it happened. I would say the most, it was kind of like uh, swept away by, by, by the wave of medical cannabis in, I would say, um, summer of 2019. Uh, and it was really also when the UK kind of had this campaign with, with um, Billy Caldwell and, and, you know, this boy who had to receive um, CBD for, for epilepsy. And it was really you know, a, a, a story of, you know, life and death. And, and then kind of a lot of big media got, got together and kind of got really loud about it, that, uh, that the UK Home Secretary, you know, allowed kind of basically cannabis for, for medical purposes. And then France also very quickly, just completely, you could, you could see uh, there were conference events and you could see a lot of movement and a lot of people discussing and, 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 and talking about this seriously in a way that they hadn't before. Um, and I would say that um, the, 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 your question is definitely justified, Bob, that, that when you say, you know, what took so long? Uh, but, you know, it's, it, France is, is actually a, a, a huge paradox when it comes to cannabis um, the, in a sense that um, while it actually has the, the highest consumption of uh, cannabis, you know, for recreational purposes in, in Europe. So it has 17 million users. This is one-fourth of the population. And it has 5 million daily users of cannabis. At that same time, it has one of the most um, uh, intensive and, and most restrictive uh, criminal justice policies um, in cannabis in Europe. Of course, Europe is, as a whole is, is quite liberal, so, so you wouldn't feel it. And no one compares to the United States. I, I mean that in a, in a not, not so kind of way, but <laughs> forgive me. But, um, but, but it's, it's really, it's really uh, kind of uh, uh, challenging to, to kind of hold these, these two, um, two truths um, at the, together at the same time. So just to paint a, a picture from from quite recently, so so like I said, the last week the French government issued a decree saying uh, we're going forward with the medical cannabis experimentation, and then at the same time the newly appointed minister of interior uh, uh, for for France said it kind of started off on this campaign that you you can see it's going to last. He's the type of person who's you know kind of like a zero tolerance policy uh, uh, type of minister of interior and, and he said that uh, cannabis is a uh, is a uh, uh, shit uh, excuse my french but uh, but you know he he kind of really uh, 
you know, started off on this inflammatory uh, campaign against cannabis uh, and, and kind of really, you know, um, uh, you know, making sure that, that, you know, police is, is, is approaching this issue one way, whereas on the other hand, you, you have a huge number, a huge portion of the population who, who is, you know, very, you know, intimately connected with, with cannabis in a, in a, in a, in a very, uh, in, in a very frequent way. So, um, so, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a real show here in France. <laughs> and perhaps the answer to this question is very obvious. And if it is, I, I apologize, but what form is the medical cannabis in that, that the French government is allowing? I, I, when you said it, at first, I just I thought that I under I knew what it would be, but I imagine it's not smokable flour. So, is it a formulation of a, a high THC oil? Um, and then you said that they would be likely looking outward to to source that. And since it is for a medical use, I'm just interested in what companies or what kind of company um, they would they would look to source that from. I mean, is it like an Epidiolex or is it is it something else? Yeah, sure. So, um, so just to quickly answer answer your questions, they um, in you know one of the documents that they put out, there's a they put out like a, a five different ratios um, that the medication is going to have. So, for example, one to one CBD THC, or I don't know, like five to one um, CBD THC, and so on. Uh, so, so, th- so they they gave like a set of five of these ratios. That uh, that they they want to uh, test, um, and then for smokable, it's it's uh, n- something that they particularly kind of emphasize is that um, smoking will not be the the form that's that's recommended, uh, obviously because the combustion itself, so so burning the the actual um, cannabis and and other stuff that is inside um, is is um, un- unhealthy for for the throat. So so in in terms of you know the the body the committee made up of mostly doctors who have made these recommendations. They they always said you know it's it's going to be oils, it's going to be topicals, it's going to be flour, but with vaping with vaporizers, uh, but but not not combustion combustion yeah, and um, and then. So where where would they be sourcing it? So, like I said, mostly from from international companies, be this you know, c- Canadian companies or you know companies op- in the United States, companies operating in in um, Latin America, it's it's um, it, in Europe as well. Like you said, um, it, th- I think that uh, this will become clear probably around uh, by the end of the year. Um, like I said, the, the, the experimentation is set to begin, um, 31st of March next year. Uh, so by then they, they will have to have figured it out. Well, it's a, it's an extremely interesting development and I'm, I'm glad to have you on to learn more about it and, and definitely something that will follow on the Hoban Minute. I believe that there is a SciTech event coming up this month. Uh, where can we hear you in the near future? What uh, What's on the horizon for you, Sarah? Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for, for that plug, Eric. Um, yeah, so I'm super excited to um, to tell you about the SciTech Summit. Um, it's on October 27th. 
Um, and it's, it's a, it's a premier event in, uh, psychedelic space for, uh, this wave of commercialization and, and kind of, uh, uh, accelerating business in, um, in, in the, in the space of psychedelics, as well as, of course, doing, um, uh, doing good. Um, so some of the speakers we have is Rick Doblin, Christian Engemeyer, Bia Labate, Dr. Rosin Watts, Matthew Johnson from Johns Hopkins. Um, and then, um, and then also a lot of, uh, a lot of other speakers that, you know, are not uh, as, um, as, uh, suitable for name dropping, but are really, really cool. And, um, and it's going to be a one day event, uh, virtually and it's free to access. Uh, so if you got a computer and you got internet, uh, you're good to go. Uh, so go ahead and register at scitag.biz. Uh, and there you'll find all the details about uh, about the summit. It's uh, it's going to be really awesome. We're hoping to really uh, help as a platform bring um, psychedelics to um, to the mainstream to as many people. So in a sense, it's um, it like I said, the, the event is free at, at SciTech.biz, uh, and and it's we've really made it so that it's um, it's kind of a public education. Um, type of thing and it's kind of also um psychedelic business one on one. Um so so in that sense it's gonna be super fun and um if you're looking to discover more about psychedelics or business um uh that's where you'll find um some clues. Psytech.biz. Well, we will definitely tune in and it has been an absolute joy to have you uh, with us today on the Hoban Minute. Thank you for staying up late and uh we will come back and, and have you on again soon to learn more about all of the interesting things that are happening with psychedelics and uh, cannabis in, in the European Union. Have a great day, Sarah. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hoban Minute. Do you have any ideas for episode topics or guests? We would like to hear from you. Reach out to us at media at hoban.law and stay tuned for more on the Hoban Minute.